updates. And now on that note, how many people are ready for the word today? So we are in a series right now called Walk the Walk, and we are sort of launching out of our messages in this series from the epistle of James. We've talked about how James is the, was the brother of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and he ended up being kind of the leader of the New Testament church in Jerusalem uh, while Jesus was on the earth. The Bible tells us that, G, that James and his other brothers did not yet believe in him, uh, but after Jesus died and was resurrected, they came to the faith, and then James ended up becoming a very prominent leader in the New Testament church. We know this. The epistle of James is kind of known for uh, being one of those books that James confronts bland or stale Christianity. He, he is really challenging believers to level up so that they don't just look like the rest of the world. How many know that as believers, we're supposed to stand out, not supposed to blend in with culture? And James's message is very relevant in any dispensation of time that we need to be challenged uh, in our lives with, are we living according to the Word of God? It's, it's kind of one of those punch-you-in-the-mouth kind of books, if you will. How many have ever heard the saying by Mike Tyson, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth, right? So we could kind of be going along thinking things are okay, but we need to be challenged, we need to be confronted uh, with things in our lives so that God can do away with things that need to go and he can reinforce things that need to grow. Are you with me? And so James is, is a lot like that. Um, first couple of weeks we talked about hypocrisy and then we talked about anger you know we're talking about things that can make their way into our lives if we're not vigilant and guarding against them and taking authority over them and these things begin to kind of blend, make us blend in and look like the rest of the world but even in addressing some of these topics like hypocrisy and anger you notice that we are, we are talking about the antitheses of these as well, which we talked about hypocrisy, but we talked about integrity and authenticity. So you have bad fruit and you have good fruit. We want to get rid of bad fruit and we want to continue to see God produce good fruit. We talked about anger, but we talked about the antitheses of that, which is gentleness, right, and kindness and love. And so those things are always going to be balanced out. That will also be the case today. So let's go to James chapter 3, and we will open up in verses 13 through 17. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Listen to this. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where, every, or for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, 
full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So in these verses, James is essentially contrasting earthly wisdom with heavenly wisdom. And there's even a test in here that we can apply to our lives. In fact, I I really believe and pray that through this message today that this would help all of us be able to live our lives daily operating under and applying the wisdom of heaven. Would that be okay with you if God produced that in our lives? That we can operate in daily living, in your job, in your relationships. I mean, in all the things that God sort of designed us to function in in our lives, He wants us to operate by the wisdom of heaven and not the wisdom of this world. And so I want to talk to you about that today, wisdom of heaven, but really the topic that we're kind of coming against that can creep in in our lives if we're not careful. Part number three today is foolishness. So you have foolishness, but then you have the antonym of that, which is really wisdom and the wisdom of God. So you will find this throughout Scripture as you read, that the Bible constantly contrasts those who are wise and those who are fools. It constantly contrasts those who operate in wisdom and those who operate in foolishness, or other places it's referred to as folly. In the Old Testament, we see that word uh, foolishness used like over 150 times. The vast majority of those verses come out of Proverbs and Psalms and Ecclesiastes, books of wisdom and Psalms. So I encourage you, man, they are rich. They are rich with wisdom for daily living. Spend much time there. But the Bible defines a fool like this. It is someone who is a dullard, someone who is choosing to ignore the instructions of God, so willfully rejecting God's commands to do certain things a certain way and choosing to do them another way, that's called a fool, foolishness, and someone who is actually driven by their flesh and emotions, not by their spirit or the spirit of God. Proverbs says that he who does not rule his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Think about that. We're ruled by the mind or emotions and feelings and things of this day and not by the Spirit of God in us and our spirit ruling over says that we're like a defenseless city. The enemy can just march right in, set up camp and have his way. A fool is someone really who is kind of looking around at what's happening in the world and in their lives and they think one thing is going on, but really another thing is going on. You could say that they are entirely tuned into the natural and worldly part of that, but they are completely amiss uh, and, and misguided or even ignorant to what's happening in the spiritual realm and in the spiritual sense. Those who live by wisdom are living with an understanding of what God is up to and doing in the spiritual climate of their lives. Does that make sense? You ever know somebody who's kind of like, you know, you say they've always got their head in the clouds, right? They're just, 
you're there, but they're always somewhere else, and, and that's, you know, funny or whatever. Maybe sometimes when people are, are like that, maybe it irritates you, but in terms of a spiritual sense, people who are fools, they have, they just, they're not tuned in to what's going on and what God is doing. They, they think very strongly that a certain reality is happening, and it's not that there aren't natural things taking place, but it's that there is an over lying spiritual thing that's going on that they're completely tuned out of in order for us to live by the wisdom of god we've got to be tuned in and operating in the spiritual realm i would say even more than we're tuned into the natural realm listen to this i'm just going to go through a a, a list of a bunch of verses quickly i just want you to hear these you're not going to go up on the screen i just want you to hear them quickly about the consequences of foolishness i picked like 10 or 12 I'm going to run through them fast, but listen. Psalms 14, 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed or suffer destruction. Proverbs 14, 7. Go or flee from the presence of a foolish man. That's important to know. It doesn't mean we don't extend grace and love and try to minister to those who are in foolishness. But it does mean you need to be very careful for how closely you associate with people who are walking in folly. Right? And we need to be in wisdom to discern where that's at. Proverbs 14.9. Fools mock at sin. It's happening a lot in our world today, isn't it? Just mock at sin, oh, it's, yeah, they think that's wrong, or, you know, believers, oh, they, you know, they're just so uptight about this stuff. No, fools mock at what God calls sin. That's a good way to know somebody is operating by spirit of foolishness or folly. Proverbs fourteen sixteen: a wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident. Raging people are foolish people. They have no control of their of their emotions they're not in control their spirit is not ruling the day proverbs 14 17 a quick-tempered man acts foolishly quick-tempered impulsive reacting instead of responding proverbs 14 33 wisdom rests in the heart of him who has understanding but what is in the heart of fools is made known so let me just give you this by way of encouragement maybe to build your faith a little bit maybe you're going through something hard right now and you feel like there's an injustice going on What's in fools will eventually come out. A fool will be known eventually for who they are. So you just need to trust in the justice of God that will be served and on his timeline and in his way. But you walk in righteousness and you know that God will honor you for that. Amen. Proverbs 15.5. This is for my kids and any other children in the room today. A fool despises his father's instruction. (laughs) <laughs> but he who receives correction is prudent. Proverbs seventeen twelve. Let a man meet a bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. Wow. Proverbs uh, eighteen two. A fool has no delight in, in understanding but in expressing his own heart. Another place says he vents all of his emotions. A fool just spills out what's in him. Doesn't think about. There's no filter. They just... They just want to be heard. They just want to say what they want to say. They just want to seem like they know what they're talking about. A wise person understands that they can restrain their speech and speak when it's pointed and when it's necessary. 
Proverbs 19.3, a foolish son is the ruin of his father and the contentions of a wife are a continual dripping. How did that one get in there? Oh, sorry, ladies. I don't know how. <laughs> Proverbs 26.4, do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. A fool would love to get you caught up and ensnared in their game. Wise people understand that's not even, that's just a smoke screen. That's a barking dog it's going to just distract me from where I'm going. Proverbs 26, 11, a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Ecclesiastes 5, 3, for a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. Ecclesiastes 7, 9, do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. We talked about anger last week. Angry people are operating in foolishness. So we see all these consequences. I just gave you a few, honestly. There's consequences of foolishness that it brings into people's lives. When we hear that, I think we can kind of understand a little bit of why, if you guys remember Mr. T, otherwise known as Clubber Lane, I pity the poor fool, right? You understand why he said that? We're going deep today. We're quoting Mike Tyson and Mr. T. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, all right. Uh, so, so there is wisdom that is from above, and there is wisdom that is from beneath. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about both of those. Point number one is let's talk about wisdom from beneath. It says it is sensual or it is demonic. And those are really like two different things. So demonic means devilish and there's another scripture, I think it's in Thessalonians, that says that there, there's a doctrine of demons. And so I would just explain it like this. The devil and demonic spirits are trying to feed worldly wisdom or demonic wisdom into people's heads and into their minds that they would embrace and claim as their reality. We know scripture says Satan is disguised as an angel in light, and so it comes to us in a disguised form. Sometimes it can sound and look good initially. It usually appeals to the pleasures of the flesh. That's a good thing to remember. And so it's enticing, right? But in the end, it, it may come to us and seem sweet as honey, but whenever it is swallowed and digested, in the end, it's as bitter as wormwood. It'll never satisfy, and it will actually rot and decay from the inside out if we take in what the enemy is trying to feed us. The opposite of that, God's wisdom, it, it doesn't come sweet as honey and then become bitter as wormwood. It's much like Ezekiel and uh, the prophet. It says when God spoke to him and gave him his wisdom and his words, he says it was in a scroll rolled up in a vision and God said, eat the scroll. And I ate the scroll. I took his words in my mouth and it was sweet as honey in me. That's what God's wisdom will do. Satisfy us from the inside out to overflow. Sensual wisdom or worldly knowledge uh, is, is just tainted by the flesh. It's more of the earth than it is of heaven. It's soulish. It's wisdom or knowledge uh, that kind of exists and operates totally separated, disconnected, and apart from the works of God. It leaves no place for a sovereign, supreme God who rules and reigns over everything. It, it, it exists within the limitations of natural law. Does that make sense? Now, here's something to think about. Natural knowledge 
everything that is or things that we learn and discover, this just kind of blows me away, all exists within and under the omnipotence of God and the omniscience of God. Because He's all-knowing and all-powerful, and He created everything. So anything that we know or learn or discover, be it accurate or inaccurate, whatever, all that we, that all exists within and under the greater, which is the wisdom and all-knowingness of God. We have to be careful with natural knowledge that leads to foolishness. Placing too much confidence in things of this world the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, that knowledge is prone to puffing us up. It's good to learn, it's good to be educated, it's good to know things, but if that becomes our idol or that becomes the throne, then that, that tells us that we can eventually become puffed up and boastful in this knowledge. You see that a lot, I believe, even in the higher education system today. It led to think they're elitist, that they're the, the people who know everything. They're the authorities on everything. The Bible warns us to be careful of such things. We should enjoy learning and appreciate that, but we should esteem the wisdom of God and His Word above anything else. Natural knowledge is, is uh, prone to puffing us up. There's this thing, uh, you may have heard this before, it's called the Fuller Doubling Curve. And this guy named Fuller, he did a bunch of research, and I'm not exactly sure how they came to these conclusions, really. I'm, I'm not sure how they could actually even be totally accurate in this, but there probably is some truth in it. The Fuller doubling curve just evaluated the speed or the rate at which man's knowledge doubled. Now, we could definitely say that there is just more information available and known today than ever before, Right? Easily accessible. So, so the progression of knowledge, we would say, increases. So this guy Fuller did this study, and he said that in 1900, man's knowledge was doubling every 100 years. By 1945, it was doubling every 25 years. They say at the present day that knowledge is doubling every 12 to 13 months. And many predict it will eventually be every 12 to 24 hours. It's interesting when you hear that because Daniel said this in the, in the prophetic book. In the time of the end, there are many who will run to and fro and knowledge shall begin to increase. Oh, I'm just telling you that people who are foolish, who are led astray, are going to continue to worship knowledge and put more and more faith in knowledge and not esteem the wisdom of God, which we as people must follow. So that's the wisdom from beneath. Let's talk about number two, wisdom from above. Just another thought on why wisdom from beneath is unreliable compared to God's. You know, Job, remember the story of Job, right? Everything was going on. It was happening in a spiritual climate. Everything that went on in that, in that situation, in that story, you had to understand what the spiritual realm was doing to make any sense of that, which the Bible lets us see. Job didn't see that. And so he was confused about what was going on, rightly so. Job's friends, listen, were considered the wisest of the day. And every one of them got it wrong. 
every one of them got it wrong about what was happening in Job's life and why these things were going on. I'm just trying to tell you, we've got to put our faith and confidence in the wisdom from above. Amen? Wisdom from above is supernatural knowledge. It is divine intelligence that is revealed to us. I'd like to say it this way too. It's not artificial intelligence. <laughs> it's divine intelligence. It brings game-changing clarity to our situations. Really a great definition of wisdom and the gift of wisdom. There's general wisdom that God says is available to every believer. And there's even a gift, a spiritual gift of wisdom. But listen, wisdom is defined as the supernatural application of God's word to daily living or daily life. How many like that? I mean, we got a lot of people who are like practical thinking people, right? And pragmatists. And it's like the wisdom of God was supposed to assist and instruct even in our daily lives and daily living. It's there for that. It's available for that. Many people aren't even looking for that in their daily walk. It is better than anything we can come up with on our own. I could tell you story after story after story. Over the last two decades of my life, walking with the Lord, and especially through my years of parenting, where my approach and Katie and I's approach was, Lord, it is, the answer is not in us. Reveal it to us, God. We need your wisdom. And then not only understanding what was going on, but knowing what to do about it. That's how wisdom assists us in our lives. How many would like to know, look around in the world and culture and in your life and be perceptive to what is happening and what God is doing and know what to do about the things that you are facing from a godly source of wisdom that's driving you? Is that incredible or what? I'm, I'm telling you, that's available. That's part of the inheritance for the believer in our birthright. In fact, let's just jump back to James chapter 1. What verse was that? James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach or partiality. And it will be given to him. Without reproach or partiality means God doesn't have favorites here. Come to him in faith and ask. God wants to give you this wisdom to operate in your life by. Wow. This wisdom is, is from above, so it is otherwise un, inaccessible in the earth. There's no earthly means that can reveal this to us. We see clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says that, that, that the Spirit of God reveals to our spirit heavenly things. They cannot be discerned by the natural man. There has to be a messenger. There has to be a revealer. And it's the Spirit of God who is God who searches the depths of God and the omniscience and all-knowing nature of God and power of God, searches everything and then reveals to us. It cannot be accessed in the natural realm. Listen to this, Job chapter 28, verse 12. Where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. 
The deep says it's not in me, and the sea says it is not with me. Cannot be purchased for gold, nor can silver be weighed for its price. Cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir and precious onyx or sapphire. Neither gold nor crystal can equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewelry of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or quartz, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Destruction and death say, we've heard a report about it with our ears. God understands its way and he knows its place. He looks to the ends of the earth and sees under the whole heavens to establish a weight for the wind and apportion the waters by measure. When he made a law for the rain and a path for the thunderbolt, then he saw wisdom and declared it. He prepared it indeed. He searched it out. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Wow. If that doesn't prove to you that it doesn't come from natural means, I don't know what will. To paraphrase, You won't find it in a textbook or a university or a laboratory. It doesn't come from the most enlightened intellectuals of the modern day. You cannot earn a degree in it, and it certainly cannot be purchased by the highest bidder. It comes from God alone. Amen. Amen. So, if God is choosing to reveal it to us, He lets us see what we need to see, you, you might say that the Holy Spirit is the most powerful search engine that we have access to. Can we have a little fun for a second? All right. Google is considered the most popular, powerful search engine in the world today. People rely on Google constantly to access information and knowledge. Google has hundreds of billions of web pages. It is estimated that about 30% of pages that Google discovers are spam. That's interesting. Google processes about 99,000 search queries every second. Don't start searching on Google to see if that's right. 8.5 billion searches per day, 2 trillion searches per year. The average person will conduct between 3 and 4 searches each day. I'm going somewhere, I promise you. Average person between 3 and 4 searches a day they go to Google for. The internet is estimated to hold 5 million terabytes of data. Same thing as 5 billion gigabytes of data. Same thing as 5 trillion megabytes of data. I know you understand that like I do. That makes a lot of sense, right? All this information, the average person three or four searches a day. I'm just wondering if maybe my phone needs to take a back seat to my prayer life. (laughs) I'm just wondering if I'm tapping in to the greater of more than I'm tapping into the lesser of. I'm not condemning Google searches. I'm saying 
is your faith and trust in wisdom from above or is it in wisdom from beneath? I hope that makes sense. We have access to the Father who is the creator of everything by the person of the Holy Spirit. Google, that's impressive, but it still has an end. You can still get to the end of it. There is no end to God. His wisdom is unsearchable. The beautiful thing about wisdom, she wants to be found. She wants to be found. Listen to this Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses and the open gates of the city. Proverbs 8 verse 1, does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on top of the high hill beside the way where the paths meet and she cries out by the gates and the entrance of the city at the entrance doors. Another verse is, who will find her? She's trying to be found. In fact, Proverbs in multiple chapters even personifies wisdom to prove our search and seeking God and understanding what's available to us. Since she's crying everywhere. Who will live by me? Who will defer from wisdom from beneath and access wisdom from above? It is available and she wants to be found. Thank you. I appreciate that. She wants to be found. But she must be sought. She must be pursued. Wisdom chapter 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, listen, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures. Let me say it like this. It's not a casual ask. It's not a casual pursuit. Does that make sense? It's going to have to be a high priority. But if there's the pursuit of her, then the Bible makes it clear. There is a reward for those who hunger. And God has a great reward in what wisdom brings to our lives. But there's a price that we pay. And that price is pursuit. Because when we pursue at the level we need to pursue, I'll just say it very practically, it doesn't leave room for a lot of other lesser things. It's called a divine exchange. There's an exchange when we pursue and seek at this level and seek her wisdom. And then God rewards us. There's the exchange. There was a tribe in Israel, one of the twelve, that was the tribe of Issachar. And listen to this. The Bible says about Issachar, that they, 1 Chronicles 12.32, it says that they had understanding of the times and they knew what Israel ought to do. Now, I believe that there is a prophetic picture in the operation of the tribe of Issachar to the church in our age today, which means the tribe of Issachar was able to look around and discern what God was doing and share his wisdom with the rest of the tribes. In fact, they served the other tribes in this manner. The Bible says about Issachar is that they settled in the hills 
and they were farmers, and it says they, they had found that rest was good. So here, here's just a, a br- basic breakdown of that. They didn't live in the cities and the citadels and the high stratas of society. They lived and, and conducted life in a manner that allowed them to seek and pursue and hear from God. And the rest of the tribes came to them and relied on them. It says that they would call the people to the mountains and they would share what God was doing and what he was up to. Oh, hallelujah. How amazing would it be if this is what the church looked like in the world today? Getting wisdom from heaven and dispersing wisdom in our spheres of influence that is so potent and so relevant that it's actually bringing fruitfulness in every part of where our lives dwell. Wow. Since they called the people to the mountains. When we seek, we will find. Listen to this. Job 33, verse 15. God bringing wisdom to men. In a dream... In a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men while slumbering in their beds, then he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction. Wow. You know what I say to that? Wow. When we go to sleep at night, that seeking heart that's been leaning in, you know, you could say the physical body is at rest, the conscious mind is at rest, but we are never in a trance-like state. The subconscious and the spirit are always alive and interacting with God's spirit. And it's just remarkable to me that the searcher of wisdom, that God is even dumping wisdom into us even while we are at rest at night. Have you ever woke up in the morning? I've done this many a times. Woke up in the morning and you're like, whoa. You just, all of a sudden, God has just deposited something in your spirit through your night's rest that you did not know the night before when you laid down. It's remarkable. And this is a part of living with God. You know, seek and pursue. I remember walking with God early on, you know, got saved. That was year one, year two, got baptized in the Holy Spirit, changed my whole relationship with the with God through the person of the Holy Spirit and the power in my life, about year three and four, God began to reveal this to me. Go after wisdom, son. Pursue wisdom is your chief aim. I'm telling you, this is for probably two years or more. Every single night and day, Katie and I sat down and we held hands and we prayed and said, God, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom. Give us wisdom. And we camped out in that place for several years. And and still we've launched off of that. But I'm just saying there was like God was saying, you you got to come after this thing. And God began to give wisdom to us in those years of our life. And it's just changed us. And we've been living and operating by it ever since. I'm so glad that I have access to things that I could never know on my own. Amen. Amen. So let's get to point number three, the wisdom test. He says, wisdom that is from above is first pure, then it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's willing to yield, it is full of mercy and good fruits, and it's without partiality and hypocrisy. This is the wisdom test. This is how we know and discern. It comes to us first, he says, pure which means it's, it's, it's untainted. It's sourced right out of heaven. Right? Any of you guys like coffee? How many people like coffee? 
oh, a lot of participation there. All right, that's great. You can get coffee from all different parts of the world. And when a coffee is sourced in a certain area and considered pure by the, by the you know, whatever the thing is that they, this whatever, that they, you know, raise it in. You're like, oh, that's sourced out of Ethiopia or that's sourced out of Africa or these certain places. And you're like, oh, man, that is, that's the good stuff right there. Wisdom that comes to us from heaven, it's pure. It's untainted. It's sourced right out of heaven from the Father himself. Oh, the antonym of that would be tainted or defiled. He says it is peaceable, which means it is a promoter of peace. That one, it is whole and it is settled, right? There are a lot of people who are walking around and living their life very unsettled, very restless, like a nervous energy and anxiety about them. They're just, they're lacking some kind of wholeness. And then, and then whatever they're operating by is ultimately going to be flawed to some level. God says, no, I want you to be whole. I want you to be sound. I want you to be at peace. I want you to have security in who you are so that you're not agitated or thrown off, that you can look clearly and walk with a steady stride. He says it's peaceable. He said it's, it's gentle. I love this. It comes to us and it's, you know, it's gentle, it's patient, it's, it's calm, and it's soothing. Soothing. I would say through those three nights here, as the Holy Spirit moved this week, that was probably one of the biggest takeaways for me that I saw, is that the way the Holy Spirit moved in people's lives, He was patient, He was unrushed, and He was soothing to the souls of many people. That's how wisdom comes to us, and that's what it will do if we will receive that. It is not in gentle means it's not in contention with others. And listen to this, not easily provoked. Are you easily provoked? Does it not take much to set you off, to throw you off? I wonder if the wisdom from beneath is maybe dominating how you respond. Because wisdom from above is not like that. It's gentle. It's unrushed. And it is not in contention with others. He says it is willing to yield. Submitted and ready to obey. Say it like this. It doesn't seek its own. You know, people say like this, maybe they don't say it, but it's their attitude. It's like, well, it's my way or the highway, right? People that have that attitude, like, nope, it's going to be my way, right? Willing to yield is not like that. Somebody who's willing to yield in relationships, they're, they're open to reason. They're willing to hear the other person out. They understand that there's always more to a story. Patient, willing to yield, willing to hear. It's a great place, isn't it? It's a great way to be. A person who's willing to yield is not pre-decided on the response already. You know how many times I, I, people will come and, hey, would, let's, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me about this? And we say, okay, and we pray, and I feel like the Lord says something, or we pray in a certain way, and that was not what they wanted to hear. Because they, they wanted to pray, but they wanted the answer to be a certain thing. 
Ugh, I just got to tell you, you're going to have to detach from that and let go of that because a willingness to yield is, is, is characteristic of wisdom from heaven. It is not pre-decided on the response. I'm going to pray, and God, here's what I know you need to do for me. It's willing to yield, and it's ready to act. It will respond to the guidance that wisdom brings. Proverbs 2.7 says, He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. <laughs> Let me say it this way. You're not going to get new and different answers to questions God has already answered for you. <laughs> Willing to yield means we respond to that. Sometimes people keep asking the same question, hoping for a different answer or a, a workaround a different way. And, and I'm just like, why do you want to stall out there? Why stall out? You know, go, go with what God says. The opposite of willing to yield is someone who always has to be right. Maybe this will just strike you. Someone who is always in a standoff for their place and for their position. This person rarely reaches resolution or reconciliation with other people in their relationships. It says it's full of mercy, which is mercy, compassion, and a tenderness. That's, that's one that forgives quickly. Does that remind you of somebody? We are to be that way. Full of mercy when we're operating in the wisdom of God. It means that willing to forgive quickly. I want to forgive. I want to forgive quick. The opposite of that would be unforgiving. And just say this, to be one who forgives quickly, that is so good for your soul. It is so good for your freedom. That is so good for your life. A person who is not full of mercy is unforgiving, and they have an attitude that I will get back at you. When they're hurt, they begin to think about vengeance instead of forgiveness. Mind you that the Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That is not for us. But keep in mind that to be tender and compassionate does not mean that a person is walked all over and that they cannot be direct in their words either. You can be direct and you can be tender and full of mercy. You say, well, how do you do that? <laughs> Wisdom of God. Uh, full of good fruits. There is a sweet aroma and fragrance that emits the air and the environment around a person who is operating in wisdom. I will often, when I'm you know, investing in people or working with people that are potential leaders that we want to raise up or develop wherever it is here or even in the marketplace, I will look for evidence of fruit in their life. Is there, is there an aroma of fruit around them? It takes a little bit of time, but eventually you'll see the evidence or the lack thereof. When God is working and doing something, growth is happening and fruit will be there. It will begin to grow and bless others around them. Jesus said you can judge a tree by its fruit. We talked about in part one, doers of the word, that good fruits and good works, they, they come from people who are doing the word. When wisdom is in operation in our lives, good fruit will be produced it will succeed. Whatever we're doing, if wisdom is operating, we will succeed in that endeavor. Oh, that encourages me right there. The antonym of, of good fruit would be 
easy to point out, bad or rotten fruit, which always stinks. It is without partiality, meaning having no partiality. It means one who is fairly treating others. We're not preferring anyone because of a selfish motive or agenda. I'm going to like this person and prefer this person because of something I can get or something that can bring me some kind of validation or some benefit. It says without partiality, wisdom doesn't do that. Aren't you thankful that we serve a God who has no partiality with men? I mean, you can't get more down to a picture of this than the gospel itself. Jesus did not restrict the gospel to the Jew alone, but offered it to the Gentile and to the whole world. He did not die just for the Jewish people. He died for the sins of the entire world. You want to talk about never having partiality, never having hypocrisy, not having favoritism or preference. Every single child is his favorite child. Ah, hallelujah. He died for all of us. And then the last one is without hypocrisy. Which means someone who is sincere and genuine. Their life and their convictions align and match. Someone who is willing to look at themselves before seeing fault in others. We talked about in part one looking in the mirror. It is amazing how people can quickly recognize things in other people that they are blind to in themselves. It is amazing how people can criticize things in other people who they are willing to what they are willing to permit in their own lives. The wisdom of God is is has none of that in it. And it's and, and then we when we operate this way then we it becomes tainted whatever we do. So let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let your word mean something <laughs> without hypocrisy. So in closing, this question, am I led by the wisdom of God? Do I have understanding of the times? I pray right now so much that God's people are aware of what's happening and what's going on and they know what to do about it. And wisdom from above that's evaluated by these conditions can guide us enrich and improve everything we do and it can produce fruitfulness and success in our endeavors and it will pave the way for the advancement of God's kingdom here on earth Proverbs 11 verse 30 says the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he who wins souls is wise wisdom marks people by those who have a heart to see other people saved and know the Lord. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Those who are wise, listen to this, shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Wow. We'll be radiant in our rewards in heaven for walking and operating in the wisdom of God while dwelling in a natural world. <laughs> so in closing, ultimate foolishness. Ultimate foolishness. 
is rejecting Christ. It's rejecting him and who he is. The Bible says that the wisdom of God and the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. I don't know if anything can sum it up any better than right there. We put our faith in the knowledge of natural, this natural world. And it leads us away from the simplicity that causes many to stumble. It says they call it foolishness, which is the message of the cross and of the gospel. That there is only one way to salvation, and that's through Jesus Christ. And you can never do anything to earn it. It's done through grace alone. And by the simplicity of that message, but the Bible says that it is the power of God that brings the salvation. The simple message of the cross. It says that's foolishness to many who are perishing. But if those who are perishing will open their hearts and their minds to receive from heaven, to have their eyes open, then they can begin to live by the wisdom of God in their lives and everything they do. And that begins by receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior in the beginning of our spiritual walk. Amen? Has this helped anybody today? The wisdom of God. Ah, oh, hallelujah.